We are a month into the new year, and I'm wondering if you have had any challenges to your Christian living. Do you ever feel that your values are being questioned and challenged by everything around you? If you haven't, hold on tight for this Empire episode. We'll have you seeing with new eyes. I don't want to be rich. Don't want to be popular. Don't want to be selfish, no. I don't want to be a goat. Don't want to be ignorant. Don't want to be blindfolded. I just want to be countercultural. be violent, don't want to have a vendetta, don't want to be vengeful, no. I don't want to be a soldier, don't want to be militaristic, don't want to help that cycle, I just want to be a countercultural pacifist. I don't want to be a racist, don't want to be a capitalist, don't want to be sexist, no. I don't want to pass judgment, don't want to hold grudges, don't want to be hateful, I just want to be a countercultural, pacifistic, unconditional lover. I don't want to shop at Walmart, don't want to grow Monsanto, don't want to drink Coca-Cola, no. I don't want to burn petrol, don't want to eat perfect fruit, don't want to feel guilty, I just want to be a countercultural, pacifistic, unconditionally loving organic gardener. I want to be authentic, I want to be radical, I want to be optimistic, honest, beautiful, I want to be humble, I want to be progressive, I want to be open, I'm inspiration, I want to be like John Wesley, or Sarah Major, or Anna Mao, I want to be like Martin Luther, or Martin Luther King Jr., like Santa Claus, Johnny Appleseed, Dirk Dillim, or Gandhi, Alexander Mack, John Klein, George Fox, or Jesus Christ, but mostly, I just want to be me. I just want to be me. Dana Casal is pastor of Peace Covenant Church in North Carolina. She shares from a perspective that you may find as challenging as I did. You are sure to view the world around you differently after this visit with Dana and a trip into the Hunger Games. Have a listen. I desperately want to be Katniss Everdeen. Katniss, if you don't know, is the heroine of the best-selling young adult trilogy, The Hunger Games. And she is fierce. No fictional character has inspired such devotion in me since I read Harriet the Spy when I was 11 and started carrying around my own notebook so that I could record all my observations of the world around me. Harriet the Spy, young adult novel by Louise Fitzhugh, totally go see if your library has it. Katniss, though, is probably fiercer than Harriet by several notches. She lives in a dystopian world where the United States has been divided up into 13 districts, all ruled by an imperial dictator based in the capital. 
The people who live in the capital live high on the hog, kept entertained and distracted by this super advanced technology and crazy wild fashion. The people who live in the districts, however, live in varying states of poverty, slavery, and despair. The districts exist solely to enable the flourishing of the capital. In order to keep all the people in the districts in line, every year the capital orchestrates this ridiculous competition called the Hunger Games. Each district sends two children to a manufactured arena where they are forced to compete to the death for the title of victor. The competition is created and run by some really twisted people called game makers who make up all the obstacles in the arena, fake weather, earthquakes, torturous things like mudslides and these things called tracker jackers, wasps with poisonous venom. And the people in the capital watch enthralled through live-action broadcasts. People in the districts watch horrified through filtered showings from the capital. The idea is that if the people in the districts know that this is what the capital is capable of, forcing their children to fight and kill each other for the pure entertainment of the capital citizens, then the people in the districts will never attempt to break out of this oppressive structure. They'll never make a move toward rebellion or revolution because they so fear the power of the capital. And for a long, long time, this strategy works. Katniss, you might know, volunteers to take her younger sister's place as a tribute from District 12. And she ends up competing in not one, not two, but three installments of the Hunger Games. She outsmarts, outwits, and outmaneuvers every other competitor, becomes a victor, and, most importantly, she learns that the game makers and the people who are in power in the capital are not really as in control of her life as they would like her to think they are. As the trilogy winds on, Katniss becomes more than a Hunger Games victor. She becomes a revolutionary for justice, a leader of the rebellion, and the symbol of freedom among all the district's peoples, the Mockingjay. There are probably a lot of different reasons why I want to be like Katniss. She wears great boots and these really cool asymmetrical sweaters. She's smart and she's strong. She's from the district that's most like the place where I grew up. The soundtrack to the first movie has all these great bluegrass and folk bands, which is the music that I like to think of as the music of my people and my place. But mostly, I think, I want to be like Katniss because she has somehow figured out a way to stay true to her principles, even in the midst of a very scary time. Both because of who she is and because of where she finds herself, she's found a way to resist the totalizing forces of empire that are all around her. I'm fascinated by people like that, people who live in the midst of great unrest and uproar, in the midst of people abusing power and oppressing the masses, in the midst of some totalizing force that attempts to co-opt both bodies and imaginations. People who find a way to look and see the world around them with an open, honest gaze. Who take in all the pain and the hurt and injustice, and instead of giving in to despair or inaction, figure out a way to hold on to the hope that another way is possible, and then move into acting as if that alternative vision were real.
Katniss isn't a Christian, at least we don't hear anything about her religious commitment or lack thereof in the books, but her journey is very much like what it might feel like for us to follow Jesus. Her journey feels to me a little like a dunker punk life. The way I've started to think about these questions is to ask what it might look like for Christians to live lives of faithful discipleship in the midst of empire. You can look up definitions for empire and find a whole bunch of different meanings. The simplest one is that empire is an extensive group of states or countries under a single supreme authority. And you know about empire. Think of the British Empire, where the English kings and queens sent out armies to conquer and claim territories all over the planet for the crown. Or remember the Roman Empire, which spread and spread and spread in ancient times, taking over huge swaths of the continent. There are plenty of historical examples of political empire. And that's still a thing. Today, powerful countries still assert themselves over and in poorer and less powerful places. But I'm less interested in empire as a political reality about national borders, and I'm more interested in the way it shapes us culturally and personally. For the purposes of my investigation and this podcast, I'd like to learn about empire as those powers and principalities that work to keep us bound to an oppressive status quo, colonizing forces that claim rights over not just our land and our bodies, but maybe, more importantly, over our imaginations. I'm interested in learning about the ways that the institutions, systems, and structures of power work to keep us entertained and distracted so that we don't pay too much attention to what's really going on in the world around us. And I'm interested in learning about how people of faith have successfully broken out of those catatonic states and worked to live each day as if Christ's alternative kingdom were not only a possibility, but an actual, embodied, day-to-day reality. In scripture, the idea of empire is all over the place. The Israelites were cast out of their land again and again because of the whims of whatever empire was in charge at the time. And in the New Testament, there's another place that symbolizes empire, Rome. In biblical times, Rome was the center of the world. The Roman Empire was incredibly rich, incredibly powerful, and incredibly feared. When Luke wrote his gospel, which comprised both the books of Luke and Acts that we have in our Bible today, he made sure to tell the story of the good news so that it ended with Jesus' disciples making their way with the world-shaking story of Jesus' death and resurrection all the way to Rome. Rome was it. And you can hear in scripture how the early church both loved and feared Rome. It was the seat of power and also a force for great destruction. Following Jesus and trying to live out his commandments is a way of life that is often in opposition to the way of empire. Empire tells us to live ignorant and distracted. Jesus calls us to pay attention. All who have ears, he says, hear. Empire tells us to accumulate as much money and stuff as we can. Jesus calls us to sell all that we have and give it to the poor. Empire tells us that in order to be valued, we have to win first place. Jesus calls us to root our value in our relationship with him. 
Empire tells us to be afraid, very afraid, of impending threats both near and far. Jesus calls us to live unafraid. Do not fear. Empire tells us that other people are obstacles to our own prestige and power. Jesus calls us to be first by being last, to become servants of all. Empire tells us that war and violence are the only way to deal with our enemies. Jesus calls us to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. Empire tells us that we should be anxious about everything. Jesus calls us not to worry, but to put our trust in God. I started wondering about these questions of following Jesus in the midst of empire when I was living in Northern Virginia, outside of Washington, D.C. This region around D.C. is the richest, most well-educated, and, unsurprisingly, since it's the seat of the federal government of the richest, most well-educated country in the world, the most powerful place in our country. D.C. is the capital. Life there is so caught up in the machinations of politics that it is very, very easy for citizens to forget about what goes on outside the Beltway. Easy to forget our connection with people living in far-flung places. It's a strange place to be a pastor, which is what I was doing there, and an even stranger place to be a brethren pastor, formed in a tradition intent on advocating peace, living simply, and practicing humility. Two things happened while I was working as a pastor in Northern Virginia. First, because I was a pastor, people started trusting me to be a part of their lives. They started letting me in on the most tender and delicate situations. And people's lives can get crazy sometimes. As I learned to know and love the people in my congregation, I found myself accompanying them to all sorts of places places I never dreamed a job as a pastor would take me. I found myself in doctor's offices, courtrooms, mental health facilities, federal immigration offices, middle school gyms, mosques, homeless shelters, funeral homes, and hospitals. And it began to become clear to me that these people I loved were forever bumping up against big, impersonal systems that were not always very helpful or friendly to individuals just trying to navigate their lives. In fact, a lot of those systems seem to be held captive by an impersonal, bureaucratic failure of imagination, an inability to see people as people, a tendency to treat human beings as less than beloved children of God, and more like an inhuman number on a computer screen. A lot of these systems felt to me like extensions of empire, doing their best to keep us all from living like Jesus. And as I walked with people through their attempts to navigate these systems, I learned a lot about how the systems work. I was heartened by some of the passionate people working within them, but I was also horrified at how much our search for riches, power, and influence distracts from the ways we ought to be caring for one another. I learned about our failed immigration system, the racism brought to light by the Black Lives Matter movement, the effect that a profit-driven healthcare system has on people's actual physical and mental health. I began to understand what living under the totalizing forces of empire might mean for people forced to do battle with it in maddening 
everyday ways. My eyes started to open. And at the very same time, a second thing happened. I could feel myself succumbing to the irresistible and insidious force of being a part of empire. I was raised in the Church of the Brethren, brought up on the gospel according to the Dunkers, so living peacefully, simply, and together has always been a part of my worldview. I did Brethren volunteer service straight out of seminary and became even more convicted of the power of life lived peaceably and intentionally and in community. The Jesus vision of another way became a marker for me, a guide for living life. But when I lived near D.C., I felt myself getting lured into the ways of empire, the ways of isolation, busyness, and accumulation. I felt myself beginning to be distracted and falling farther and farther away from the ways of Jesus. I made a lot of money in Northern Virginia, and I could feel myself beginning to ease into a life far more luxurious than I was used to. I started paying more attention to the ways I looked, how I dressed, where I got my hair cut, and none of those things are bad in and of themselves, but I could feel the superficial setting up camp in my awareness, settling in and co-opting big chunks of my time and energy and attention. And I found myself living life at a breakneck pace. I worked two jobs, traveled constantly, and barely let myself sit down for a few minutes at a time. Busyness is, especially there, a status symbol. If you are busy, then you must be important. If you are busy, it means you are among the powerful. And I bought into that lie, hook, line, and sinker. The busyness and the superficiality fed into a sense of isolation, another marker of life in the empire. I spent a lot of time alone. Again, not necessarily a bad thing, especially for an introvert like me, but I felt it becoming easy to ignore opportunities for connection and relationship. Felt the permission from those around me to ignore my neighbors and keep my eyes straight ahead as I walked down the street. I felt myself begin to concern myself only with myself. These are the ways of empire co-opted imagination that convinces us that the way of wealth, busyness, and isolation are the only way. Empire keeps us too distracted to pay real attention to the problems around us, and it keeps us feeling too impotent to attempt to do anything different. After a while, these two realizations, that the systems shaping the life of so many people I loved were actually totalizing symptoms of empire, and the realization that my own life was slipping slowly but surely into the grasp of empire's insidious power, these two realizations became too clear and too powerful to ignore or resist. I don't live in Northern Virginia anymore, and I miss the regular monthly gathering of dunker punks that I got to be a part of there encouraging and life-giving dinner times where we talked about some of these very same challenges of living with Jesus in the midst of empire. But I'm still trying hard to understand the power of empire and the best way to live a life of faithful and resistant hope in the midst of it. That's why I like Katniss Everdeen so much, and it's why I keep reading the stories in scripture about Esther and Ruth and Daniel and Mary and Jesus. It's why I love 
the Brethren stories about Alexander Mack and Anna Mao and John Klein and Catherine Hummer and Ted Studebaker and Cliff Kindy and the stories of all of you dunkerpunks. It's why I like this podcast so much. As I've wondered and studied and read and listened, I've begun to sense a theme in the stories of people who seem to have figured out ways to follow Jesus in the midst of empire. It seems to me that the one thing all these people have in common is their deep commitment to completely immersing themselves in the way of Jesus. These people read scripture with sincere devotion. They pray a lot. They pay attention to what's happening in their neighborhoods and their cities and their country. And they surround themselves with others who are equally committed to living like Jesus. I don't think that there's a simple step-by-step program to living faithfully in the midst of empire. But I do think that there are very elemental things we can do to keep ourselves grounded, focused, and close to the heart of Jesus. In the next few episodes that I get to share with you, I'm hoping to interview some people who have succeeded at living faithfully in the midst of empire. Hoping to search some scripture for biblical examples of heroines, and to figure out how we can be prepared, physically, emotionally, and most importantly, how we can be prepared spiritually for the hard work of being Dunkerpunks, committed to Jesus' radical anti-empire love in our own world. Do you know someone who embodies that kind of love? I want to hear about them. Way to lay it on the line, Dana. I'll confess that I live in that world of empire you describe, and so very close to the center of Washington, D.C., that your words hit right into my heart. I know the Apostle Paul spoke of living in the world, but not being of the world, when he wrote to the Philippians. It's a short letter of six pages in the New Testament if you want to read it yourself. I think Dana has really hit this one home. I know I get co-opted into wanting the latest and best, or even just a little more than I already have. It is a slippery slope to slide from a needed upgrade to more and better, always. I don't even recognize when I'm sliding anymore, at least not until I heard Dana describe my world so clearly. How do we wake up to the seductive attraction of more? How do you see your world, Dunkerpunks? I'm going back to Paul's letter because we have committed to living the Jesus way. Paul writes, Live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ so that we will stand firm in one spirit, striving side by side with one mind for the faith of the gospel. That's in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. And that is why we're podcasting so that we may all stay firm in our faith together. It really does help to know that there are so many of us on this path. So please let us hear your voice by Snapchat, Twitter, Facebook, or email. You can reach us at Dunker Punk's Pod in most venues, and you'll hear specifics in the credits to follow. Here are ways to reach Dana and continue the conversation. The easiest way for people to connect with Dana is email or Twitter. You can find her at at Dana B. Girl on Twitter. Her email is danacasal at gmail.com. 
She also has a blog where she's written more about the challenges of living in empire, danacasal.wordpress.com. She spells her name D-A-N-A-C-A-S-S-E-L-L. And she's waiting to hear from you. So listeners, are you deeply committed to immersing yourself in the Jesus way rather than buying into empire? Reach out your hand and share this episode of the Dunker Punks podcast with five friends, a friend for each finger. Invite them into a level of friendship where together you support each other in your walk with Jesus. That's your call to action this week, Dunker Punks. Don't live the Dunker Punk life alone. We need each other too much. And stay connected with us. This podcast returns in two weeks with a bonus part two episode from Sarah and the On Earth Peace team. Refocus on the way we ought to be caring for each other by hearing more about inclusion in the church. The Dunker Punks podcast is a collaboration amongst a dozen or so contributors holding on to the hope that another way is possible. I, Nancy Fitzgerald, produce the show with Suzanne Lay, who edits the audio, and Jacob Krause, who makes our music. Surround yourself with others equally committed to following Jesus by actively engaging on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash dunkerpunkspod. You can tweet us your thoughts at dunkerpunkspod and add us on Snapchat. We're dunkerpunkspod there too. Share the show page, arlingtoncobb.org slash dpp, and subscribe on iTunes. Until then, dunkerpunks, from Ephesians, my favorite blessing. Now to the one who by the power at work within us, is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine. To that one be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus forever.